Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 5. start in verse 16, read through verse 26. Uh, This is, as you may recall, uh, all one passage. I think the whole thing should be preached together. Um, uh, But uh, So we preached the first half of this passage uh, two weeks ago when we, in our evening service then, and I will preach the remaining section, verses 19 through 26. Uh, today, this evening. But I want to read the whole section to you because it's a piece, one thing. So, this is the word of the Lord. Listen carefully, reverently as I read. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Amen. By the way, the uh, last week was verses 16 through 21. I misspoke. Uh, this passage, we're going to focus on verses 22 through 26. Let's go ahead and uh, pray for God's blessing on our time. Oh Lord, we need for you to, Holy Spirit, to illumine uh, the scriptures in order that we might profit. Um, otherwise, uh, we, we are not going to benefit from this time. We need you to preach to us, Lord Jesus. Uh, and... Uh, So we ask that uh, you would do this, that you would preach to us, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, that you would illumine our minds and grant us a deeper understanding of a familiar passage uh, and the ability to apply it uh, to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's right. Um, All right, children. So got your attention up here? Back there, rather? All right. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I think... All three of you were here, weren't they, a couple weeks ago? 
I think so, right. So, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, a, a term, and the term is an air. Now, I'm not talking about the air that you breathe. I'm talking about an heir uh, who is a person. And I'm going to tell you what an heir is again, once again, because um, it's uh, helpful to understanding this passage in the context. So an heir is someone who is going to get something from someone else at some point in the future. So, for example, parents, uh, perhaps even your parents, want to give you their children, or want you, their children, to receive or inherit uh, their possessions at some point in the future when they go to be with Jesus, which will be a long time ago, we hope. But anyway, they, they, they uh, may have you as one of their heirs. And a child, again, a child whose parents intend to give him or her some or all of their possessions at some point in the future, that's what an heir is. And you yourselves may be heirs. I don't know uh, uh, what your parents' intention is at the moment. Um, but that's what an heir is. Somebody who is going to get something from someone else at some point in the future. Now, an heir of heaven is someone who is um, destined by God to inherit all of the many, indeed countless, blessings associated with living in heaven, with God. And um, all Christians are heirs of heaven. You, if, you're, if you children love Jesus, and I know you, uh, you say you do, then you are heirs of heaven. God intends to give you great riches in terms of blessing uh, now and in the future, uh, and in heaven. And as an heir of heaven... There are certain things which are true of you and anybody else who is an heir of heaven. Um, and that is, the first thing, this is the point that we looked at last week, um, if we're heirs of heaven, we are not going to practice the deeds of the flesh. Now, what's the flesh? Well, the flesh are those evil desires and inclinations within us, which are within a person which control the unbeliever, Unbelievers, their, their uh, evil inclinations and desires control them. Uh, but uh, as believers, we have different desires. Um, increasingly, the Spirit gives us new desires, but we still have some of these old desires present within us all the way up until we, until we go to be with Jesus. Um, and that's the flesh, those evil inclinations and uh, desires that are within people, um, uh, unbelievers more than believers and to a lesser degree and decreasing degree in believers. Now, what are deeds of the flesh? Because this passage speaks of the deeds of the flesh. Well, the deeds of the flesh are those tangible manifestations or um, uh, evidences, uh, maybe I'll put it that way, no, I like manifestations better, actually, of these evil desires and inclinations. Outward manifestations or tangible, visible, uh, observable manifestations of that uh, flesh, that... Uh, those evil inclinations within. Now, the point that we made several or uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago rather, uh, was that you, if you're an heir of heaven, are not going to be a practitioner of the sins listed in verses 19 through 21: immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, 
and so on. You're not going to be a practitioner, somebody who regularly engages in that behavior and practices living in those sinful ways. We won't habitually do that. We won't unremorsefully, unrepentantly engage in that kind of conduct if we're actually a a Christian, a forgiven person whom God has given a new heart to. We will be striving to put off what is left of the old man, of the flesh, and put that flesh to death. But as an heir of heaven, there's something else that is going to be true of you of which this passage speaks. So first, you won't practice the deeds of the flesh if you're an heir of heaven. But secondly, and this is the point for today, if you're an heir of heaven, you will increasingly exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Y'all could have written this sermon. Um, (laughs) It's pretty easy uh, what's going on in this passage. And that's true. If you're an heir of heaven, if you're truly converted, if if you have a new heart, the Spirit is dwelling within you, which he is in all Christians, you will be increasingly exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. So let's dig into this. Paul has already explained that the fruit of the, the excuse me, that the flesh, those evil desires within a person, even within a Christian, and uh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within a Christian, that the flesh and the Spirit within the Christian are essentially mortal enemies, locked in deadly combat. You can think of it as a, a fight going on within us, between the old man, the flesh, and the uh, Holy Spirit who has taken up residence within us and is about the business of making us more like Jesus. The evil... Uh, Excuse me. And in this conflict between the flesh and the spirit, God has ordered, commanded you and me, uh, as believers, to submit to the leading and the control of God the Holy Spirit who is within us, rather than submit to the unholy yearnings of our old man, of the flesh. He has said, you may not do that. And as we walk by the Spirit, that is, um, uh, practice submitting to the Spirit, uh, uh, looking to the Spirit for leadership, uh, uh, allowing the Spirit of God to control us and to inform our decisions and that sort of thing, as we do that, we will not only make real progress in our efforts to put off those old ways which characterize the old man, but we will also increasingly exhibit these uh, holy characteristics that are listed for us here in verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit-led life. These are fruit which we as Christians are required to labor, to produce, uh, in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. But these fruit uh, which we are to labor to produce are fruit which God, the Holy Spirit alone, can give us the ability to produce as we submit to his guidance, his leadership, his control as we walk by the Spirit. And these fruit uh, will be fruit which will increasingly, we will increasingly show forth over time over the course of our Christian life. And those that progress at times will be slow, almost imperceptible. will be... Uh, times when perhaps there even appears to be decline, declension, 
in your spiritual life. Uh, but the overall trajectory will be that of increasing uh, presence of these of this fruit described in this passage. Why is that the case? Because if we are truly Christians, uh, then we have already, verse 24 tells us, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have, uh, actually through his work, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's a statement of fact. That's true of you if you're a Christian. It's true of me. And those of us who, as a result of our spiritual union with Christ, have mortally wounded and crucified the evil inclinations and orientation that our previously uh, unconverted hearts had, we will, as a result of the Spirit dwelling within us, necessarily and increasingly die unto sin and live under righteousness, to to, uh, echo the Shorter Catechism question 35 on sanctification. So what are these fruit? Well, they're listed for us, and we're going to take the remainder of our time and uh, discuss what these things mean, uh, these fruit that are listed here, uh, that must increasingly be evident in your life over time as a Christian. So first there's the one that is uh, uh, perhaps talked about more than any other in Scripture, and that is love. Christians, by the Spirit's work in their life, will increasingly exhibit love. The characteristic of love. This is the same Greek word that is used to describe the Father's love for the Son. Same word. Uh, And we are to exhibit that kind of love that the Father has had eternally for his Son. And it is also the same word that describes God's love for the believer in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It is arguably the greatest of the three graces, Christian graces. Uh, actually, Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 13. It's even greater than uh, faith and hope in some sense. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, that passage that describes the characteristics of love, Paul describes there what love looks like, what the love that a Christian should be exhibiting looks like. He says it's going to be patient. It's going to be kind. It's going to be contented. It's going to be humble. It's going to be polite. It's going to be hopeful, optimistic, forgiving, rejoicing in truth, enduring, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Enduring uh, suffering at the hands of others without complaint. Now that's, obviously those are, Ideals, and uh, but they will increasingly, uh, if imperfectly, be part of what it means to love another person, uh, or to love, um, yeah, another person in particular. So let me ask you all uh, here: Does this kind of love, that is patient, contented, polite, humble, um, forgiving, and so on, does this characterize the way that you relate to? Um, people that God has providentially placed in your life. Think of your children. Think of your parents. Think of uh, your uh, other people at church with whom you interact. Think of your enemies, even. We're to love our enemies. Do you have some enemies that? Um, how do you? How well do you love those enemies? 
We are to love as Christians. Overall, would you say that you are becoming more loving towards those around you? Uh, more loving than, say, you were five years ago? Just ask yourself these questions. We don't require any raising of hands, of course. But there should be progress. We should be better people than we were two years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, in terms of our bear, uh, increasingly looking more more like Christ, uh, albeit very imperfectly. Is that true of you? It needs to be. And we need to ask God that it would be if perhaps uh, the answer is, uh, well, I'm not sure. Because the Lord does need to get a hold of us more and more and intends to. And if he isn't, there's something wrong. Joy. He says, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, a product of the Spirit's presence. This is holy cheerfulness, joy, an inner delight and serenity or peace that comes from knowing that we are loved by and have been forgiven by God through Christ. An inner delight and serenity, a holy cheerfulness, an attitude that does not depend upon our outward circumstances. Uh, It's something that you can experience uh, even in the midst of the storms of life in your life. You can experience uh, joy, Christian joy, which, as I've said before, is not necessarily giddiness, but it's a sense of well-being. Are you experiencing this kind of joy in your life? Would you say you're a joyful person? At least to some degree, is that true of you? Hopefully it is. Peace is the next virtue that is mentioned here, the next fruit. This uh, is, first of all, peace with God, uh, which comes from having been freed from the condemnation and tyranny of law, of of, of his law, rather, uh, which condemns, uh, if it's not perfectly obeyed. But we are freed from that in Christ because he is perfectly obeyed on our behalf. And that should produce a genuine sense of... um, a sense of being it in um, a right standing and relationship with God that brings uh, a sense of well-being with it. Paul describes it as a peace which surpasses comprehension. It's not something that we can even fully perhaps understand, that we can fully comprehend, but it is nothing, nonetheless something that we can truly have. It's a peace that will, again, Paul says in Philippians, that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That is to say, will protect us from the distress and despair that we might otherwise experience as a result of having a guilty conscience and knowing we are uh, uh, displeasing to God. It's a peace that the triune God alone himself can give to us. But it's not just peace with God. It probably also, undoubtedly, also refers to peace and harmony between ourselves and others around us, other human beings. Uh, As 
as, as much as it depends upon us that we are at peace with people. Think of people that um, in your life that uh, it's hard to have be at peace with. The Lord says there needs to be more peace. You need to be more peaceable in your dealings with that individual if there's some strife or stress uh, in that relationship. And again, uh, it, it takes two to tango, as my parents would say, and uh, uh, my dad would say. We can't, we can't change other people, but we can change ourselves. And we need to do our part to be at peace with others around us. And if we're Christians, we'll be serious about doing that. Are you at peace with those around you? With God? The Holy Spirit can and will, if he dwells within you, and he does if you're a Christian, give you, as you look to him for a greater peace, he will give that peace increasingly to you. This, after all, is a fruit of the Spirit. Patience. He mentions patience uh, in his list. This is a willingness to endure um, wrongs uh, done to us by others. Willingness to, or perhaps either a willingness to endure wrongs done to us by others, or a willingness to endure the, perhaps it's exasperating conduct, even if it's not directly wrong directed at us, but it's exasperating conduct um, that others engage in. Uh, and to do that, endure it without flying into a rage or longing for um, uh, revenge of some sort. We are to be patient with others, to quietly endure uh, wrong suffered, uh, irritating Actions, words, behaviors upon the part of others, we are required to endure, to be patient ongoingly. Um, God himself is slow to anger, and we as his children must be as well. Is this a virtue that uh, is present in your life, that is increasing in your life? Ask the Holy Spirit for the grace. He will give it increasingly to you. This is a promise right here in Scripture to that effect. Kindness. We are to be kind people as spirit-filled people. That is to say, kindness, this is a a term that uh, includes kind of a number of different uh, 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 thoughts in terms of understanding it. It includes generosity. It includes tender-heartedness. It includes being sympathetic having a mild spirit, that all of these virtues that manifest themselves in kind words and actions and forgiveness, in, uh, again, generous behavior uh, that um, um, is quick to forgive and to overlook the faults in other people. We're to be kind. How forgiving, how thoughtful, how generous are you how gener- how how would others who are near you answer that question is this an area where you need to ask the holy spirit for greater assistance in being kind goodness 
is the next fruit uh, or part of the singular fruit. It's actually fruit is singular there, not plural. Is part of this fruit. This is a willingness, even an eagerness to 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 do what we can to be of help and benefit to others. We wish to be good. We we have an uh, outgoing. Uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, we're givers of ourselves. And we want to do that to um, to be a blessing to other people. This is uh, some of what it means to be good. To want to we want to, to want to see others be blessed through something we might be able to do for them. Are you such a person? At least to some degree? Are you good in this respect? Would others agree with you if you say yes? The Holy Spirit can make you better, I was trying to think of the comparative, uh, than you are. Good, better, best. Better than you are. And he wants to. And he intends to. And we need to uh, seek his guidance and his control that that might, in fact, be the case increasingly in our lives. Faithfulness is mentioned by Paul. This is, uh, this is the, uh, uh, is trustworthiness, worthiness of trust from others, uh, and loyalty in our dealings with others, being a loyal person, somebody who is committed to those with whom we interact. The faithful man is a, or woman, is a principled person. Somebody who has integrity. Uh, acts in good faith. Keeps his word or her word when he or she says, I will do this, I'll do such and such. Or be somewhere Are you worthy of the trust of others? Do you have a track record that uh, indicates that uh, you are worthy of trust? Or is that an area, perhaps, that needs some work in your life? Actually, all of us need work in all of these areas, whether we realize it or not. Gentleness. Uh, This doesn't mean, what it doesn't mean, first of all, it doesn't mean being spineless, wimpy, or weak. Jesus was gentle. He was not spineless, wimpy, or weak. But he was gentle and humble of heart. Gentleness is indeed humble strength of character that joyfully submits to God's Control the Spirit in particular, his leadership and control uh, in our lives. Uh, But it is humble strength that submits to God's leadership and through the Spirit at work in us, informed by the Word. The gentle person is slow in asserting him or herself, is deferential toward the needs of others, uh, and doesn't need to be the center of attention 
in the room. And is observant of those around him and their needs. And desirous uh, of uh, showing sympathy. How gentle are you? How much humble strength um, and quiet submission to the Spirit do you exhibit? He can give you more than you have. Than you have. Christians, spirit-filled people, Christians—that's the same thing—are um, self-controlled. This is the ability to keep one's desires and. Um, I'll just leave it at desires under control. Desires doesn't need to, don't need to be bad things necessarily, although they could be bad or good. But whatever your desires are, to be self-controlled is to have the ability to keep them under control uh, and not um, feel the need to uh, satisfy those desires on a whim. Uh, and also, it includes the ability to resist temptation to do. Uh, to satisfy those desires on a whim or uh, to desire satisfy those desires at all if they're ungodly desires. The Spirit can give you greater control if there's an area of your life in which there is, uh, how should we say, less control than is appropriate. That could involve temper, could involve thought life, could involve being too quick to speak, could involve all sorts of things. We all need work in that area, I'm confident. Do you desire more to be more self-controlled in those areas where perhaps you're not as Christ-like as you should be? If you don't desire to control uh, your urges and your desires, you've got a problem. You may not be a Christian, or at least you've strayed from the path of obedience and need to repent. Well, Paul says, the Spirit through Paul, that those those who are going to exhibit these fruit of the Spirit are, uh, will be those, sorry, I've lost my place here, excuse me. The key, rather, to bearing all of these fruit, uh, this fruit, singular fruit, with all these dimensions uh, of joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The key to doing this, and I've been saying this all through the sermon and the last sermon as well, is what Paul says in verse 25. Summing up, essentially, what he said for the last uh, ten verses or so. If we live by the Spirit, and of course we do, uh, that's not a uh, if, I'm not sure that's true, if it's really since we live by the Spirit, uh, that could be probably appropriately translated that way, and even better. Uh, since we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And again, walking is just the, the um, uh, being controlled, being led, being uh, guided by, submitted to the Spirit within. 
who calls us to do certain things and to not do other things. To think certain ways, to not think other ways. To speak certain ways, to not speak other ways. We just need to do that. And even that, walking by the Spirit, requires motivation. Where do you get the motivation to put off sin, sinful uh, elements in your Christian life? Where do you get the motivation to want to be more righteous when it's hard to do so in some area? The cross. The Savior. As you ponder what he took and what he did in your place, under no obligation to do it, and yet he did it anyway, because he loved you and loved me. That should be enough motivation to say no to any sin and to say yes to every command. And bearing these spiritual fruit is one of the foremost purposes for which God created you and me. Evidence of that is found in uh, Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 2, verse 10, uh, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hear the walk? Walk by the Spirit. Walk in those good works which are uh, tantamount and meaning to the fruit. John similarly over, uh, or Jesus rather, in John's Gospel, John 15, says something very uh, similar. 15 verse 16. Um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Pointed you that you should bear fruit. That's uh, another the other side of the coin of uh, uh, glorifying God forever. The first catechism question. Bear fruit. Love Christ by bearing fruit, by glorifying him in the way you live. And you must do that by looking to him for the strength uh, to, to make the choices, the hard choices. Each day, there are hard choices. That we need, uh, Most all days, there are hard choices for each one of us to make that nobody else knows about, oftentimes. But Jesus is a Savior, is a Master, who is worth, um, exceedingly worth, worthy of our efforts to walk by the Spirit consistently so that he might be honored through our fruit-bearing. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace to walk increasingly uh, by your Spirit, uh, consistently by the Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us the strength that we need uh, at any moment in each day of this coming week, and indeed throughout the remainder of our lives, that you would give us the strength we need to say yes to obedience at any given point and any given decision that needs to be made and to say no to disobedience. 
Lord, it is difficult at times. We fail. We have failed you very often over the course of our Christian life. But we don't want to keep failing you. We want to fail you less and less and honor you more and more. Please help us. Please give us grace. And please would you cause us to bear fruit more and more in our lives as you have appointed us to do, that we might reflect increasingly your glory uh, in this uh, life of ours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now God's blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved, complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, he also will bring it to pass. Amen.